Previously on the Natural Lifestyles podcast. Fairly early on, I really started to conceptualize myself as this kind of bizarre, weird hero that was adventuring through the world and was seeking and searching. I'd been focusing in on martial arts, meditation, spirituality, a particular type of Buddhism. I'd been over to Shaolin Temple in China, which was my one of my big heroes calls. I went to China to study Chinese medicine and after I finished the course, we were doing an internship in a, in a hospital, I decided to beg for forgiveness rather than ask for permission. So what I did is I just told my teachers at the end of the course, because we were supposed to go back to Australia and continue the study year, and I said, uh, yeah, I'm not going back to Australia. I'm going to spend a few extra weeks in China. I've got to go and do something. And so I just took this time, went to Shaolin Temple, where I was not invited. Can't just rock up and jump the queue. But I did. I just rocked up, and I didn't intend to be instructed there. I just wanted to see this place, because it was important for me. This was my greatest passion at the time. And I went to the temple to look around, and through a series of magnificent events, where I found myself in front of the master that you know was my hero. And he asked me the question, what do you want? And it was, I want to learn, I want to study with you. And so he gave me a chance. Next morning at five in the morning, there I was at the temple with my idol. So fast forward some years, I'd gone back and forward to the temple a couple of times, and I was considering what is my manifest destiny? What is the thing that I want to manifest as a destiny? And to me, it was that I really wanted to investigate my interior world to a, an exceptional degree. I was not happy with the way I felt about myself. And as I'd learned meditation, that had shifted things. I'd learned how to come to more peace with myself, to recognize that my thoughts were not me. And so I'd reached a point where I was like, okay, this is the juice for me. I need to push this as far as possible. I'm willing to become a monk. That was my plan. Problem was though, that although this was a clear, clear drive for me, I was also a very horny young man. And before I do that stuff, become a celibate, Kung Fu monk, I really feel like I need to fuck a lot more girls. And not just the girls I've been hanging out with, usually. Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Because by that time, I had developed some abilities with women. I'd never run up to a girl on the street but I'd use my lifestyle design, which was having a band uh, and having an extended social circle and being kind of friends with lots of girls and being in hippie circles and going to festivals and this kind of stuff, which was lifestyle designed seduction, which is totally uh, an important thing you must learn. Just being a lone wolf who goes out and you know, goes out into the streets and snuffs one girl back into your lair and then you know, throws her out and then does that again, over and over again, that can be done. I've met people who do that, and some people can become very effective at just that. But that's like working hour for dollar, right? That's the equivalent of way, having a wage where you go and you put in the effort and then you get something back from it. And the moment you stop working, you stop getting paid, right? So that's a legitimate way to do things, but it doesn't ever create anything that's passive. Someone asked yesterday, I think it was, about can you get passive pussy? Can you get a passive sexual income? Yes, you can. You can. Maybe not to the point where you just sit there and the girl, you Vin Diesel away and they just all come in and you don't have to do anything. But certainly you can create processes which will draw women into your life. And we'll get onto that a bit later in the talk as well. But this is lifestyle design stuff. 
And that was all I knew what to do. It was like, okay, start a band, be friends with people, have parties, and, and, and women would come into my life and I'd get, occasionally I would hook up with them. So I was, I was getting girlfriends and getting laid from time to time. And that year before I got into seduction, I made a goal, which was I want to sleep with 12 women in one year. Right? And that seemed like, and I, that was from not being able to go and meet girls, but just going, all right, from the orbit of people that sort of come into my orbit, I'll just sort of reach out and grab one. You know, it's like some spider just waiting in its hole. Like, there, yeah, that's close enough. I'll pull that person in. And so I did. I managed to do that. I got 12 girls in one year. And then I got the 13th. And then she was my girlfriend. We stayed together for a couple of years. And then I broke up with her because I wanted to go to China, become a monk. And I had this sense of it's not enough. I don't want to just have those hippie chicks who wear converses and wear boys' underwear to bed. You know, the ones that talk about spirituality. And they're like kind of cute, but not, not enough. I looked in the streets and there were these girls who wore skin-tight pencil skirts with a white shirt tied up and the titties popping out and they worked in an office. I'd never met a chick who worked in an office. I've never been into an office still to this day. I don't know what goes on in there. (laughs) But I know those girls go in there and they come out at 6 or 7 p.m. And I I didn't know how to have access to a woman like that. Or to these European travellers I could see, the backpackers wandering around, the cute Swedish girls and the German girls and wearing the fucking uh, Birkenstocks. And, uh, you know, I didn't know how to access any of those kind of girls. They didn't come into my social circle. Or the glamour girls, the girls who went to the clubs where you had to be on the list and they had a fake tan and a perfectly rounded butt from going to the gym and they worked in advertising. Yeah, or hairdressers. I didn't know how to get any of those. They were not part of my world. And a threesome. I God fucking wanted a threesome. Before I die, I want to have a threesome. Because I had two opportunities in high school to have threesomes, and I screwed them both up. And the, I thought of threesomes as being like Halley's Comet, just like comes around every 72 years. <laughs> and then you're like, ah, missed it. All right. Yeah, maybe if Elon Musk can extend my lifespan, then I'll get another chance. Anyone else view. Has anyone else fucked up a threesome opportunity? Shame. Unforgivable. Yeah. Does anyone want to know how to have threesomes, as an aside? You have to come to workshop then, won't you? <laughs> the secret to threesomes, in a nutshell, was taught to me by Flows. Flows, who's a very interesting individual, lives in Australia. And he, I, used to, I lived with him. He was my, part of my early crew of, of seducers that I hooked up with in the, around this time. And I lived with him for about a year, and he had girls coming in every night, every night. And very commonly, there would be multiple girls coming in. But often, they didn't know each other. They would come in at an hour different time, and then they would end up together. So he would have threesomes and group sex and fucking all sorts of weird, grimy shit going on almost every night. And he had a couple of rules, which were, I think, borrowed and adapted from Johnny Soporno. But his were, my bed is always open. You're always welcome. But I won't always be alone. And make sure you're good to the other bitches. Right? So these were his rules. was like, I am the sex guy. You come to me for sex. And don't make any fuss. Don't make any hassle. Because his way of dealing with girls was saying, yeah, none of that. Anytime they do anything, none of that. (laughs) It was amazing to watch. I learned a lot from that three words. But yeah, the way he would have threesomes all the time. And I had this instance where I fucked up this amazing threesome. And, uh, you know, it was the next day I was just sitting on the couch, just fucking hating myself. And he rambled down. And I was like, fucking, fuck you, man. You have threesomes all the time. It's because you're black, isn't it? 
And he's like, what are you talking about? It's racist. I'm like, it's positive racism. <laughs> yes, it's racist. And I was like, how, what is it? It doesn't make any sense. Like, I feel like it's just like, okay, I have this opportunity and I just screwed it up. And then it's, it's when is that going to happen again? It's like, fucking whenever you want it to happen again. I'm like, that's not true, objectively. I want it to happen now. It's not happening now. And he said, I said, like, how is it that you have threesomes? Is it because of, like, you're involved in the hip-hop scene and, or something? What is it the thing? He's, he just said, in my mind, threesomes are normal. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, it's a normal thing. It's just like you get one bitch and then you get another one and you put them in the room together. <laughs> well, now, that's sexist. That's sexist. Okay, and so, you know, of course I was like, fuck you, I don't want to hear that right now. That was not what I wanted to hear. But over time, I started to investigate that as a concept and put it through my own filters and think about it slightly differently. But I've, I now have a lot of threesomes in my life, thank fuck, and, it's, and they happen a lot because eventually I came to the point where I did accept that. That if I go out with the intention of bringing a woman into my life and then finding out if she's bisexual or she's bi-curious, and then I go and have sex with another girl and then I talk to her about whether she's bisexual or bi-curious, and I find... Like, if I go and date a bunch of women, you'll find a bunch that are interested in girls. And it's way more than you think. Apparently, according to, I don't know, someone who told me, around 80% of girls are at least bi-curious or, or have, have it in their head that that would be something they might want to experiment with. So there's a lot more women than you would suspect are interested in this. So if you can go out and talk to girls about their desires about girls and then say, well, actually, I've got a, I've got a beautiful girl that's a lover of mine. Do you want to come and meet her? then it can happen. Then it can become a normal thing. Right? Now, there is a whole lot of other processes and skills that need to be developed to make that something that's seamless, as in having very good sexual skill, being able to satisfy one woman very well, because when you've got two, you double your workload, and that, if you don't satisfy two women, then it's, it's, you, know, you feel like a loser, for sure. And you need to be able to manage the dynamic, because in a threesome, what is your role? Primarily, it's to hold the space for the girls to come together. Right, so as a little, I'm giving away way too much here, but I may as well, that if you're, you go on a date with, with your primary girlfriend or, or a girl that you're hunting other girls with, or a girl that you've said, hey, are you interested in girls? She's like, yeah, and you know, would you be curious to do that with me sometime? Um, yes, definitely. All right, cool. When I, when I find someone that's appropriate, I'll invite her and we'll meet. And so when you do that, you have your kind of girl that's on your side, and then you invite another girl in, and then let the girls do the work. Right, that's what I've found is like trying to micromanage it and get in there and go, oh, so, you know, you should talk to her and like, well, what, you know, she's into this and you're into this. That uh, takes away the power out of the situation. The, essentially, you bring them together and your, your, your role is to hold the space and to lead the logistics and go, hey, so should we get out of here? And then when you're in the bedroom, maybe directing, you should kiss her or what do you guys think of each other? Yeah? And then get, let them get together and then stand back and wait and try to act like, try to act cool. <laughs> Try to act like this is normal. Because I, I, I my first threesome was, was literally like, oh my fucking God, there's two of everything, there's four of those. And I, you know, I'm just like, but of course, if you just go, wow, guys, check this out. This is, this is me. This is really me in there. You're there. You're not one, you're another one. Don't do that. Yeah, they don't. They they need to think that you're like such a boss that it's like, yeah, of course, two girls, of course. Uh, so that's the hardest part is just acting like you know what you, that you've got control over this. Anyway, that's more than enough. You can go and put, go away and play with that. Right.
So before I went off to China and disappeared into the mountains of Hernan forever, I decided that I had to satisfy this part of my life. Right? I, I couldn't just step away because that's been a thing for me always. I, I just wasn't... I've, I've come to the end of many adventures and decided judiciously at some point it's time to let this thing go and move on to something else. But I always felt like this, I needed to achieve some aspect of it first. I needed to reach a certain level where I was like, cool, I did that. And that was music for me. I spent 10 years trying to be a musician, trying to get famous, trying to make a living out of it. And I never did. I never made a living. Well, no, I did. I survived week by week on lentils with it. But, you know, I never became a famous rock star or anything. But I went through the processes of putting a band together, writing a couple of albums worth of songs that I was really happy with, recorded an album, which to this day I'm glad that I did, and toured around Australia in a shitty old combi van and played hundreds of shows and had sex with a few groupies who thought I was cool, not really hot ones, but I, you know, I had the groupie experience. Uh, you know, took LSD and played on, played on stage on LSD, thinking that it sounded a lot better than it probably did. You know, did all of this rock star stuff so that I could you know, reach and reach the point where at some point I was like, okay, I've been doing this on and off for 10 years, not only this, but that, and I need to recognise that, okay, I'm probably not going to get famous. I'm 29 now, and this has put, I put a huge amount of effort and focus into this thing, and I've, I've achieved lots of the elements. I've, ex- I've had the experience of being the most famous guy in the room sometimes. I've had the experience of creating something with a group of people and really like having a passion and a drive and being fucking alive in that. And I've had some of the, the advantages of it, the whatever, the, the status and the, the girls and stuff. And if I keep on grinding this particular pathway, it's going to lead probably to disappointment. It's giving me diminishing returns from some point. And so it's time for me to shift and change into something else. And that was around the time when the early, part, the early prototype of this business started happening. And then I gradually jumped ship to the natural lifestyles, which meant I could continue the rock and roll dream for another 10 years. This time with no music and way more chicks. So anyway, at that point, I recognised that, okay, before I shift out of this part of the world, I feel like there's certain elements that I'm not unsatisfied with, things that I really need to achieve yet. And so I decided before I do this, go and become a monk, I'm going to bury myself in hedonism, I'm going to figure this shit out, whatever this is, and I'm going to fill this need inside myself, this lack, by going and having sex with a whole bunch of those girls I could never get. And that was my initial compelling reason why. If you want to go on this seduction path in the long term, and it is a longer term process. Did anyone think they were going to come here this weekend on Monday? They're like, done. Anyone? If you did? Okay. I'm sorry. Sorry I lied to you. Did I say that? I'm pretty sure the marketing didn't say that. On Monday morning, you will be a perfect Superman. No. This is a a long-term journey. How long, I get asked this often by Germans, how long exactly to the day does it take to get good at this? Right? And the answer is 562 days. No, it is maybe something like that, actually. To get good at this takes a couple of years, in my opinion, of focusing on this. Now, not necessarily focusing like I did, because what I ended up doing was two, three, four years of almost nothing but this. But it does require you to focus and make this a priority for a couple of years. In order to get good, and what, do, what is the definition of good in seduction? It is, in my opinion, it's not necessarily about racking up huge numbers and getting all of the trophies. And that's what my ideal was back then. 
Right? At that point, it was like, before I quit the world, I need to rack up, and I decided in the first year, 30 girls in a year. That's what I'm going to try and do. That's my goal. And they have to be of all of these different types of the ones that I listed and various other ones that I wanted to have. And the threesome. Didn't get the threesome that year. Uh, got 29 girls. And then like on New Year's Eve, I remember there was a girl that I like, had been on a date with and, and I was trying to get her to meet me on New Year's Eve because I'm like, oh, I've got to get the 30th one. And she was like, what? I'm with the, my friends. We're on we're an MD. I'm like, good, excellent. Come, come over here. She's like, no, no, I've got to do this with my girls tonight. I'll meet you tomorrow. I'm like, tomorrow's not good. I can't do it tomorrow. Tomorrow's pointless. You would, you would be number one of the next year and then I have to rack up another. No, please. And she didn't come. And so I had to be satisfied with the 29 for that year. But that was like that agenda at that time. So weird thinking back on your old selves, right? That was, that was so important to me back then to prove myself. My compelling reason why I was doing this, and you have to have one. Because the, like, oh, I should learn seduction because, I don't know, that's a thing you should learn. Or, you know, I want to get laid once, or I'm a bit lonely. Those, those are very short-term goals. Shay has talked a lot about this in terms of what are, the, what are the things that are most likely to propel you to achieving greatness or ach achieving what your potential is. Just moving away from pain tends to move you only one step away from pain, right? So people who have bad money mindsets, people who are eternally broke, typically view money as something that they don't want to deal with, as like kind of a, an evil thing or, a, or like an unimportant thing. And paradoxically, when you, when you don't put any importance on money, it has way more importance in your life. It suddenly starts to take you over because if you don't have it, then it's fucking difficult to maneuver through the world. And often those people, how do they deal with poverty or being broke? It's like when they reach the total rock bottom where it has to be addressed, then they'll do whatever they have to to move one step away from that. And then they just settle back there until it comes back to that point, and then they have this constant process. Same with guys in seduction, back in, out in the normal world, where they have this process of just moving just away from loneliness, right? or just away from complete sexual dissatisfaction. And so what that is not a compelling reason why to propel you to greatness or to propel you on your hero's journey arc. And it's important to understand what your reason why is. And for me at that time, it was quite an immature motivation. It was really about, I don't feel like I'm cool enough, good enough, sexy enough to get those girls in the club. And I don't like that feeling of being less than or having lack or like that I'm not good enough. So I'm going to get those girls and then I'll prove that I'm cool enough. And then I can leave it behind and go and be a monk. Right, that was the logic of my, of my thinking at the time. When I look back, it was quite naive logic, but it's what got me propelled. It's what got me moving. Most of you, at some point, it was that sense of like, oh, fuck, this is shit, I don't like this, and I'm not good enough, and I'm going to try and do something to fill that hole in myself. Anyone resonate with that? Yeah. Okay. And the, I have zero judgment on you for that. That is the, the place where you are or have been, and that's what you needed to get you started. But if you want to look at this as a longer-term process... What is your overall compelling reason that you're going to evolve into? I'm still doing this now, 10 years later. I'm still seducing women. I'm still fascinated by this thing. I'm still curious about it, and I'm still learning. But I reached a point in that phase where, okay, I got the 29 girls, and then the next year I decided I wanted to have five girlfriends, like all, all real girlfriends that, I, that, that called me their boyfriends and all knew about each other, even if they didn't meet each other. That was my next goal, and that was pure ego. Right, that one was really about like, okay, I did that, now let's see how far I can push this, how far I can abuse my power. 
right? I'm see what I can, what I can get away with. How awesome am I if five girls want me to be their boyfriend and five hot girls, right? Pretty awesome, right? <laughs> At that time, that was really important to me and I achieved it. We called it the sex pentangle. You know, I'm trying to pull these five girls together and they're like balancing it and then like one would slip away and like have to replace her with another one, you know, to be able to hold this web together. And that led me to have a breakdown actually. It led me to actually have a, a collapse in my personality because I was juggling too many people's hearts, too many emotions of different people, and I was not doing it from any kind of strong place. You can have multiple relationships from a strong place, and I'll talk about that in another speech today. But that was coming from just needing to prove that I was awesome. And then coming out of that, I moved into a very intense love affair with a woman that taught me a lot about myself, and I shifted into a monogamous relationship. And then it started to evolve, and then these, I started to see this arc and these cycles, the seducer cycle, which I'll talk more about today, which allowed me or was driven by need to change and the reason why the different motivations started to shift and change. Now, what is my motivation now? It's about living in joy. It's about continual rebirth and growth. It's, about, it's, it's less now about kind of testing what, I, what I'm capable of, like going out there and just doing things just to test if I can do it. It's more about settling into the, I guess, the king part of the hero's journey of my life. I've been through those, that, that phase of like complete self-doubt, of not understanding who I was, of fighting against the world, fighting against my shadow, going out, seeking masters, seeking to improve myself, testing myself in all these different battlegrounds for various reasons, immature and more mature, and then coming to points where I could settle into, okay, I've, I've done that and now I'm going to enjoy the rewards of it and I'm going to deepen my knowledge, deepen my, my expression of heart, deepen my connection with my lovers and then start to become a tribe builder. And that's really important. If you, a, a few guys have been asking me questions outside of the presentations about lifestyle design, about how to get a crew together or how to you know, build something that's bigger than just you. And I feel that is a really important thing to do and a, and a very effective way to navigate through the world. There's this kind of um, archetype which has sprung up since the four-hour workweek was released. Anyone not read the four-hour workweek? Oh, wow, okay. Yes, read it, but don't take everything that it uh, contains on face value. Because this is, this is a, like, it's a, it's a new concept of a masculine ideal. Back in like the 80s, what was the masculine ideal? Like the, the, the boss, the guy that's got shit under control. Yeah, it was like the Wall Street guy. You know, it was like work hard, play hard, snort coke, fucking bang hookers, just burn the candles at both ends. Yeah? And that, and that was what like success was, one model of success, right? When I was growing up in the 90s, it was, the area that I was in, it was more like being kind of a soft, like nice guy and just like, you know, feeling stuff and then being Generation X where you're sort of a little bit cynical about things and money was like something you should stay away from because that meant you were selling out. Right? That was kind of an archetype that was there. A new archetype which has arisen in this, like in the internet age essentially, is the body hacker, the life hacker, the nomadic entrepreneur. And I know there's a bunch of guys in this room who fit within that category to different degrees, and we certainly do, we are exemplars of this, is the guy that is really trying to hack all of the elements of his life to make things most effective, right? So looking at 
nutrition in a way that is really about getting the most out of food, about exercise where you're like doing every exercise is perfect. You know, the, the, the push-up is done in just such a way that you're not wasting any movement and it gets the maximum return, right? That in the financial world that you can create a, a, a business perhaps that provides you with passive income and allows you to be, to be mobile and to leverage currencies and location uh, and skills, right? So this archetype which has arisen, is everyone kind of familiar with this as an idea? Yeah, it's awesome in many ways. Like that's a much better model for potential manhood than the Wall Street Norton Coke guy until he jumps off a building when the stock market crashes. Like that's a much better archetype to live by. It's healthy. It's going to lead to longevity, and it's going to hopefully claw back more time for you to work with. It is great in many ways, but there is something that I feel is flawed in it, and it, that is its hyper individualism. It's about how you can do everything by yourself. And that, and that that is almost, the, that is preferred, that you must be able to do all of this stuff by yourself and you don't need anybody. And I don't think that's true. And, it, and even I have met some guys who are living more or less in that lifestyle, that they have made the things work, all the pieces of the modern body hacker, life hacker guy work, but they're lonely. They don't have a sense of direction. They don't have a crew around them. And then they have to do everything themselves, which makes it much harder. I don't do all this myself. <laughs> you guys have seen, there's a big team around me. I started it by myself, for sure. The whole journey starts out alone. And I had to go out and figure this shit out and try and find some early uh, contemporaries and advice here and there and borrow and trade and use my massage. Often massage was the skill that I would swap with people to get stuff that I would, when I didn't have money and started to navigate through the world. But gradually I started forming alliances. And men, I think, are most powerful when they have a loyal tribe around them of around five to ten men that are all working together on common goals. This is when we really shine, especially when we can put together a, a group that has skills in different areas, that has different characteristics, which is like an X-Men team. And in terms of lifestyle design, that's something that I've put a lot of effort into in my life. I've given out a lot of my energy and resources and time and money and emotional expenditure has gone to the crew around me. And I've learned gradually over time how to negotiate different types of loyalty and transactions uh, and to form together very, very tight, powerful crews. And this is what I talk about in terms of the seductive economy. Right? This is a kind of a, a map that I overlay to help explain how it is that you can create networks with really important people or really powerful people, or well-connected people, or people that you just want to hang out with. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural, Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The, the Natural, Natural TV. TV. See you on the next episode.